All right, we are back. Let's do a bit of science, uh, shall we? I've been wanting to do some science topics. They've been piling up, as a matter of fact. All right, out of the science news, dated uh, November 22nd, article titled, Pieces of a Pulverizer. Sediment fragments may be from killer space rock. Now, if you go to the California Academy of Sciences, you'll notice that the, the era of life on this planet, the eras of life on this planet, have been divided into three different groupings. There's the Archaeozoic, the Mesozoic, and the Cenozoic, of course. We all remember from high school. The middle one, the Mesozoic, is the era of the dinosaurs, which means that life had, well, two major changes. It's had lots of minor changes, but two major changes. One led, led to the dinosaurs, and one that led to the modern era, away from the dinosaurs. Well, we're now pretty sure that the, one, the, the last one took place because a killer asteroid struck the Earth 63 million years ago. The Permian extinction 250 million years ago has been under suspicion as possibly having been caused by the same mechanism a large body striking the earth and wiping out 95 percent of the species in the ocean 70 percent of the species on land well according to this article researchers have examined the sediments that are from exactly that era where things suddenly changed and they found minute particles of iron and nickel rich oxides which apparently they think did not crystallize on Earth because of their particular mix. So they think this is evidence that, yes, a large body, obviously an iron-nickel body, struck the Earth 250 million years ago. We're going to try in the future to get to someone to talk about that interesting subject, perhaps Dr. Alvarez from UC Berkeley. Wouldn't that be great? We haven't, uh, we haven't tried yet, but gosh, who knows? Maybe we'll be able to get him to talk about this magnificent discovery he and his father made uh, back in about 1980 that uh, indicates the dinosaurs' sudden demise may have been due to an asteroid hitting the Earth. And while we're at it, we need to get a physicist on this program to explain the following. Item out of New Scientist magazine. Mystery Maison breaks the rules. A mysterious particle that doesn't seem to fit any existing theory of matter has physicists puzzled, dubbed X, it may be the first in a new family of subatomic particles that are bound together a bit like molecules. Now, you know, we're taught about protons and neutrons and electrons in school, but that apparently is old hat. What really goes into the makeup of protons and neutrons are quarks. And if they combine into things like protons and neutrons with three quarks combining, they're called baryons. There's another type of baryon called a meson, which is what this article is talking about. These are composed of a quark and an antiquark. Holy mackerel, someone's, someone's got to bring us up to date on this, you know, subatomic particle zoo, because I'm having a hard time with this. They've got this new thing. They're saying, well, maybe it's, it's, it's what exactly the mass expected to be for two particles called D mesons. The article doesn't explain how you can make a D meson, doesn't explain why they're as heavy as a helium atom. I am in a fog on this, and frankly, I need some help. So uh, if you know about this stuff and you want to talk to us about it, why don't you send me an email at info at radioparallax.com, and we'll see about putting you on the air. Another article. Back when I was a uh, UC Davis student in the Mesozoic era, uh, I took a class called The Evolution of Crop Plants, which I thought was one reason you like to have the quarter system. You can fit in small classes like that that are quite fascinating don't necessarily have much to do with how you're going to earn a living in the future, and that's okay. I think it's good for us to go to college and broaden our horizons by learning about a lot of things that aren't necessarily going to, you know, 
make us an extra buck. I think it makes us better people. But this class talked about how crop plants came to be, how we understood it 25 years ago anyway. Well, this article in New Scientist points out that we're now using modern techniques, genetic techniques, deciphering how corn came to be. We're pretty sure that this grass in Mexico, which still exists called teosinte, was the original grass that was eventually bred into modern corn. But how it got there is very mysterious. Corn is a genetically modified organism that is really quite bizarre. Corn cannot reproduce unless human beings come along, pick the ears off the plant, shuck it, dry it, take the kernels out, and plant those. It just it, It's incapable of reproduction. I've always found that to be very, very bizarre. But it's, of course, one of the world's major food crops. And uh, it'll be interesting to decipher how it came to be. I think we'll learn a lot from that. And um, it was mysterious when I took this class 25 years ago. They said, well, we're, you know, maybe it did this, maybe it did that. Well, they're actually getting down to which gene turned on, which gene turned off. And it is going to be deciphered. And I know it's not an earth-shaking thing, but I think it's pretty cool. And I look forward to um, finding this out. Um, And by the way, if you're going to go out and buy yourself a copy of the Old Farmer's Almanac, and I highly recommend that you do so. I've been doing this for like, I don't know, 20-some-odd years every year since I was a student here at Davis. It's full of all kinds of fascinating stuff. But look at the cover. They have 16 different editions. And I went over to Tower, I hate to say this, and grabbed an edition, not noticing that it was the Boston edition. Now that's where they, that's their home base, Boston, but they do make one for California. So uh, to get your most bang for your buck, if you want to have tide tables that are accurate for San Francisco Bay, not Boston Harbor, and you want to have uh, information on when the sun is rising and setting that's accurate for us and not for Boston, which is a different latitude, make sure you get the right edition. The um, thing I love about it is not just that it gives you a lot of accurate astronomical information, but it includes a lot of other jokes and and puns and and fascinating stories about all kinds of stuff. Uh, One from last year's Almanac, uh, and you probably heard this one, three of the worst puns of all time. Two bull weevils grow up in South Carolina. One goes to Hollywood, becomes a famous actor. The other stays behind in the cotton fields and never amounts to much. But in the end is the more celebrated, because the second one, naturally, is known to posterity as the lesser of two weevils. I know, I know, I usually hate puns, but I've always liked that one. But you can find uh, interesting things in the almanac, like gestation and mating tables, uh, maximum lifespans of animals in captivity. Uh, The cat, domestic cat, has lived for 34 years. Whereas the box turtle, the eastern box turtle, has been known to live 138 years. I love stuff like this. Uh, As I'm reading this, I'm stumbling across one. American tourists ask the darndest questions. This was actually compiled at Banff National Park in Alberta. Yes, these were all questions actually heard at the Information Center. Tourist, how do you pronounce elk? Park staff, elk, tourist, oh, Where does Alberta end and Canada begin? (laughs) What's the best way to see Canada in a day? This is the one I like the most. Is that two kilometers by foot or by car? (laughs) Tourist, 
How do you get your lake so blue? Park staff, we take the water out in the winter and paint the bottom. Tourist, oh. <laughs> and where do you put the animals at night? I can't vouch for any of those, but I can vouch for, uh, you know, this is non-commercial radio. I'm not suggesting, you know, we don't get any kickbacks from uh, from the people at the Old Farmer's Almanac. I just recommend it because it is a little gold mine, an inexpensive gold mine of interesting information. It gives you stuff that's going to be up in the sky. It tells you... Uh, it tells you about various uh, holidays and observances, and just, you know, is filled with all kinds of interesting trivia. I'm one from, one from an issue in the past, manure guide, that I had to admire. It gave you a breakdown. Type of manure, horse, comma, cow. Gives you the water content, nitrogen, phosphate, potash, as opposed to sheep, pig, and goat. Now, I'm not sure why it is cow and horse are different than sheep, pig, and goat, or why a goat is more like a, uh, a pig. Beats me. It seems like a goat would be more like a cow to me, but what do I know? It talks about chicken manure. It talks about ash chicken manure. I don't know. Agriculture is becoming a lost art in this country, but uh, UCD is still one of the uh, nation and world's foremost agricultural universities. So I think that, um, you know, this is the kind of thing you just may want to have in your home library. All right, let's close with three short but uh, not science articles. We'll return to more science on next week's program. Miscellaneous things I'm extracting out of the week. The first one. Now, I remember when Congress uh, got blitzed with all these objections to the FCC relaxing the rules that would up ownership from 35 to 45%. Well, not so well covered in the news was the fact that they've now, lawmakers in the White House have struck a deal on what's going to be acceptable. They decided that 39% was okay. They did not roll it back to 35%. They upped it four more percentage points. Stay tuned to that story. President Bush's trip to the United Kingdom got a lot of press a couple weeks ago. I don't know if you saw this item. After President Bush's helicopter landed on Queen Elizabeth's garden at Buckingham Palace, palace staff said they had never seen the Queen so angry, as reported in the London Mirror. Yeah, get the picture. Get get this picture. You know, Bush comes in in a helicopter and lands right on the Queen's flower bed. Way to go, George. It was probably her, her, like, private garden she goes out and tends and puts, like, compost down on. Good God. This kind of reminds me of a few years back when, when the Queen and Nancy Reagan were supposed to attend an event, and the Queen drove herself, gets out of the car as a couple of Secret Service types roar up in limousines with all sorts of guards and guns and guys wearing shades and earphones to get out for Nancy Reagan's arrival. All right, last item for today's program. Louisville, Kentucky police apparently picked up anti-pornography crusader John W. Riddle, age 65, in a car with a prostitute and a bottle of Viagra. But for the record, there was no smut in the car. Give me smut and nothing but... A dirty novel I can't shut If it's uncut and unsut Tall 
Way to go, anti-pornography crusader, John W. Riddle. All right, that about wraps it up for this program. We want to thank our special guest, Robert Greenwald, and we hope you will tune in on Sunday to his documentary, Uncovered, The Whole Truth About the Iraq War, to be hosted at a home somewhere near you in your zip code. Thanks also to Lisa for updating us on web fabrications. We'll do better in the future. Final announcement, uh, we would like to note that on tomorrow's program, Speaking in Tongues, in this same time slot here on KDVS, novelist, playwright, and political activist Tariq Ali will be interviewed by Richard Estes and, I presume, Ron Glick. Ali is the author of a new book, Bush in Babylon, The Recolonization of Iraq. Ali is an internationally known, incisive critic of American foreign policy. Also, tune in tomorrow, 8.30 a.m., for Speaking in Tongues with Steve Valentino, where one of his guests, at least, will be yours truly. I am Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. And you should stay tuned now for Todd to follow with Hometown Atrocities. We'll see you next Thursday. I've never quibbled. If it was ribbled, I would devour where others merely nibbled. As the judge remarked the day that he acquitted my Aunt Hortense, to be smut, it must be utterly without redeeming social importance. Poor, the graphic pictures I adore. Indecent magazines galore. I like them more if they're hardcore. Bring on the obscene movies. Murals, postcards, neckties, samplers, stained glass windows, tattoos, anything. More, more, I'm still not satisfied. Stories of tortures used by debauchers, lurid, licentious, and vile. Make me smile. Novels that pander to my taste for candor Give me a pleasure sublime Let's face it, I love slime All books can be indecent books Though recent books are bolder For filth, I'm glad to say Is in the mind of the beholder When correctly viewed, everything is lewd I could tell you things about Peter Pan And the Wizard of Oz There's a dirty old man <laughs> a hobby like tennis or philately i've got a hobby rereading lady chatterley but now they're trying to take it all away from us unless we take a stand and hand in hand we fight for freedom of the press in other words smut i love it ah the adventures of a slut oh i'm a market they can't glut i don't know what compares with smut hip hip hooray let's hear it for the supreme court don't let them take it away